You know, it was in tune before. Oh, that's better. Give me that Today we really have that old-time religion in the book of Leviticus, don't we? And I know what you're thinking. Pastor, you have lost your mind. <laughs> of all the sermon series you could possibly preach, you've chosen one based on one of the most unloved and unread books in the entire Bible. In fact, why is Leviticus even in the Bible anymore? We don't follow its regulations for sacrifice. Can you imagine? Pastor, someone bringing in a bull or a goat or a pair of doves to sacrifice and throwing the blood all around the altar here? Absolutely not. We're not going to do that. And by the way, didn't Jesus take care of all of that? Didn't Jesus give himself as a sacrifice for us so we don't have to worry about that anymore? Can't we stay in the New Testament where God seems so much nicer? so much more relevant for us today. And it is true that Leviticus is unloved and unread. It's gotten kind of a bad reputation among Christians. Many Bible reading plans have been halted in their tracks by the first seven chapters of Leviticus, assuming the chapters about the construction of the tabernacle in Exodus haven't stopped them first. Now, it has all these detailed instructions on grain offerings, burnt offerings, offerings of well-being, offerings of restitution, and so on and so forth. So one pastor in our text study group said that Leviticus was read at Luthercrest to get the campers to fall asleep. <laughs> A similar story was related by Lutheran theologian Paul Hinlicky, who was assigned Leviticus in a college class and said he just could not keep his eyelids open while reading it. And of course, Leviticus has unfortunately been used as a weapon in the church's fights over human sexuality. It has been often used as, you know, as, as uh, the basis for the, well, we eat shellfish now argument, which isn't very good. No, we, we eat shellfish now, so why can't we do everything else too? It, it doesn't do justice to the book. 
It doesn't do justice to it, but it has had this bad reputation. It isn't filled with many exciting stories. There's one in Leviticus 9 that is just awful. It's about the death of Aaron's sons. And other than that, it's just law, 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 and regulation, and what people ought to do. So it, it has this. It, it, it looks like this to us. No wonder we fly over it. But that's exactly why we need to take a closer look at it. Along with the other 38 books of the Old Testament, Leviticus was part of the scriptural inheritance of the early church. And with a few exceptions, its place in our Bible was not seriously questioned. That's that's not only because Leviticus is part of the scriptures of Israel. It's also because Leviticus is hidden in the New Testament. It's throughout much of the New Testament. Our siblings in the Revised Common Lectionary are hearing the story of the beheading of John the Baptist today. John earned the ire of Herodias, Herod's wife, by telling telling Herod that he couldn't marry her because she was his brother's wife. That's Leviticus 18.16. When Jesus says in Mark 10.45 that the Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many, he's using the language of offering and atonement that occurs throughout Leviticus, including in our reading today. One-fourth with the offering of a bull. Jesus' command to love the neighbor as oneself and to mirror God's love and their love of one another is anticipated in Leviticus 18. It says you shall love the neighbor as yourself. Jesus didn't just pull that out of thin air. Demands for economic justice, as practiced by the early church in Acts, are rooted in the Jubilee year of Leviticus 25. These are just a few examples. So as we go through this series, I hope we will discover the richness with which Leviticus infuses the whole gospel. So what about today's text? About all the sacrifices? What possible relevance can this have for us today? It has relevance because this text recalls communication between God and Moses. And this communication tells us several very important things about God. First, it tells us that amazingly, the God of the universe, above all that can be perceived, known, and manipulated, is in relationship with human beings. That this holy, mighty, holy other God can be approached by his creatures. We finite beings can and are in fact commanded to approach the infinite Lord of all. In fact, Leviticus begins with the simple verb, and he called. He called Moses. Second, it tells us that our sacrifices given out of our own human desire to please God do, in fact, please God. Even if they are not animal or grain sacrifices anymore, we still sacrifice today. Our our praise is called a sacrifice by Hebrews 13.15. Our gifts of money, ability, and time are sacrifices. And even Paul calls us to give our whole selves as a living sacrifice to God, in Romans 12.1. Sacrifice is still a thing, 
though bloodless. There are still sacrifices today. And third, this text reveals to us something about the Christ of God, Jesus. In Leviticus 12, 1 to 8, provision is made for purification of women after childbirth. This was done not because procreation or childbirth was sinful, not at all, but because the natural processes of life and death were and are messy. Certain bodily fluids, especially blood, were thought to contain and convey the forces of life itself. So when Jesus' mother Mary goes to the temple in Luke chapter 2 for her purification, she is undergoing a ritual that countless Jewish women before her would have undertaken. It served as the marker between the time of birth and the time when life returned to normal, a ritual for a time of transition like we do today with confirmation, baptism, funerals. Those are all rituals that mark times of transition. So is this this ritual of purification. As Mary re-enters the normality and mundanity of human experience, so her son, Jesus, God in the flesh, enters that experience as well, enters full humanity. Our God shows his true humanity by being subject to the same laws, whether natural or scriptural, that God's people were subject to. God is truly one of us. Our God, holy, mighty, enfleshed in the Christ, is approachable and knowable by faith. And in his grace, God tells his people how to approach him. He doesn't just leave people stumbling, trying to figure out how to please God. God actually gives them the, the, the means and rites and rituals by where they approach him. We don't approach God with these same rituals today. Besides, I think I would, I would be looking for a new job if I bought, brought a bull in here. But we do those same rituals inform how we offer ourselves to the Lord and how the Lord offers himself to us. We come to worship. We offer ourselves our time and our possessions, knowing that the Lord continues to offer all of himself to us in his word and in the sacrament. So as we explore further the laws, the demands for holiness, the rituals, and the calls for justice that are part of the book of Leviticus, Let's remember that they are foremost rooted in God's gracious, continuous outreach, communication to human beings, given out of nothing but love. Let's pray. Lord God, if you did not communicate to Moses, Aaron, the prophets, or most of all, in your Christ, we would not know you. We would be utterly lost. Keep us rooted in your gracious love for us. Trusting that as we offer ourselves to you, you offer yourself to us. In Jesus' name we pray with the Holy Spirit. Amen.